Welcome, listeners, to the NK News podcast recorded here in Seoul on Saturday, April 28, 2018. I am your host, Jacko Zwetslut, and joining me today in the studio from NK News are NK News bossman Chad O'Carroll. Hey there. Writer come editor extraordinaire Oliver Hotham. Hi. And full-time DJ, Dagyom G. Hello. And today we'll be talking about yesterday's summit and all that happened in and after it. Don't forget that you can download or subscribe to our podcast, not only at iTunes, but also Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, and other good podcast platforms. And you can save $50 off your NK News subscription by using the code PODCAST at the checkout at www.nknews.org. Does anybody say www anymore? Am I just old-fashioned? www.nknews.org. NKNews.org. There you go. So I'm not the only one that says that. So let's start with the historic summit declaration. What have the two Koreas actually agreed to? Fundamentally, there's been a lot of repetition in this declaration with prior declarations. So there's a lot of lofty commitments to unification on Korean terms, to various types of cooperation and so on. But there are a few notable differences. And I think the biggest one that stood out for us was first and foremost that the Koreas have agreed to pursue a peace treaty with the United States and possibly China before the end of this calendar year. Wait, did they say possibly China? or Yeah, they said three parties or four parties. So interesting that that there is that flexibility there. Good question. Dagam, did they use the word Uri Minjokiri when they talked about uh, doing things themselves? I mean, they did say the two careers were like the masters of the problem and so they should be the ones that solve it, which is kind of a rehashing of the old language. I don't think that they don't specifically mention the word Uri Minjokiri in the Korean statement, but they said South and North Korea affirm the principle of determining the destiny of the Korean nations on their own accord and agree to bring force and blah, blah, blah. So it's, yeah. Technically, they want to solve the issues by ourselves. Also, uh, another thing that's new that we haven't seen in the past was this commitment to make a liaison office in Kaesong. Ah. Uh, why they're not agreeing to do one in Seoul and Pyongyang right. or even Panmunjom, perhaps we can talk about that in a bit. Also, a commitment to revitalize not just the train line from Kaesong to Sinuiju, but also the East Coast line, which was never mentioned in prior declarations. So that's another new aspect. And of of course, Moon Jae-in uh, has committed to come to Pyongyang in the uh, third, fourth quarter of the year, which we've not seen that in prior uh, summits where a leader is committed within a certain time frame to make mm. a corresponding trip to the other country. The other slightly new and important thing is family reunions. What's new is the fact that we didn't think the North Koreans would be potentially interested in family reunions this time because... They, last June, made it conditional on the fact that the restaurant worker defectors, these 13 females uh, and their boss who were ostensibly abducted on North Korean terms from a restaurant in China, they said, unless those people come back, we're not going to do family reunions. It seems they've wiggled out of that and there is flexibility. Yeah, I had that down for a, a later question, actually, but since you've raised it, let's talk about it now. So did Kim talk about the uh, the wait- waitress, uh, the restaurant workers at all? Were they mentioned? No. And restaurant workers thing, it has to be also noted that 
a lot of North Korea making that condition came through pretty unconventional channels. So the first time it came out was in an interview, a North Korean official with AFP, a kind of off the hand, some, one of these North Korean officials from one of these state think tanks. And then the, the time it was made most solidly was in DPRK Today, which isn't really, I mean, it's an official state media outlet, but it's hardly, you know, a government statement in KCNA or an editorial in Rodong Shinbun. At the same time, we do know that Moon offered to resume family reunions after being elected and he just got crickets. Okay, so so it says we're on track to redo them again. August 15th is the day. Which is, of course, National Liberation Day. Yes. So it's very symbolic. They're both committing to that. There's no hint whether there'll be more after that. From what I understand, these things are a pain Mm. in the ass for the North Koreans to organize, to go and find everybody. It doesn't lead to any immediate financial benefit for Pyongyang. You have to deal with all the ideological brainwashing. So there's not much incentive from the North Korean side, frankly speaking, to, to do these things but i think everybody's gonna we that should be welcomed massively because it's a human tragedy that these families are split yeah. and what whatever it can take to get the ball rolling to do much more of those i think most people regardless of politics would encourage that kind of uh, reunion meeting you mentioned chad about the uh, the having of a peace treaty uh, between three or perhaps four parties uh, there's certainly a lot of media attention placed on that is that i mean we know that south korea didn't sign the original armistice agreement so to what extent is this just simply virtue signaling the two of them saying we want to have a peace treaty but south korea can't even officially sign one. There are many, many hurdles with this, but the interesting thing is the pace, right? They've decided to try and do this before the end of the year. Mm. Simultaneously, we know that Washington is interested in urgent CVID, complete, verifiable, irreversible denuclearization. So my sense is that timeline has been put in place to try and cement those two things together, which the US probably won't like. Mm. From the North Korean perspective, you can see why it would be necessary to realize CVID. But just a couple of things to bear in mind with a peace treaty. Even if Donald Trump wants it, Kim Jong-un wants it, you still have uh, to get the Senate to approve it as it's a treaty in the US, which would require over two-third vote to get Mm -hmm. from what I understand about US politics. And that means, can you imagine... The, the incentive for all of those folks to vote on something like that when there are probably going to be loads of unresolved issues related to human rights, prisoners of war. But, so as far as I understand it, though, a peace treaty could be something that could be signed by the two Koreas because it's a purely political document. And the armist- ending the armistice agreement would require the UNC approval. Because the US isn't technically at war with North Korea. All right, it's the United Nations. It's the United Nations command. Right. And so that wouldn't require any kind of congressional. You would just need a signature. But then the other complexity is that the signatory on the Chinese side isn't the Chinese government. It's the Chinese volunteer, People's ah, Volunteer ah, Army, which no longer which exists. exists. And the head of which, as was pointed out to me yesterday, was purged in 1959 oh, and then died during the Cultural Revolution. So... Might be quite tricky getting his signature. So that is, that's a fascinating legal uh, debate right there, right? Yeah. Is who's actually empowered? Like if, if it is if it's the UNC, the People's Volunteers, and, and uh, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, then the UNC couldn't that just be whichever US General, well General Brooks? Couldn't he just say, right, I'm I'm UNC here, I'm authorized? Or if he doesn't have the power, who does he have to go back to? Does he have to go back to, as you said, a Congress and the Senate? It could probably because of this 
complexity take the form of some kind of new document, right? So the peace treaty would be that type of thing. You can just say, right, we're peace, like a non-aggression pact. Mm-hmm. And that would also fit what North, what Kim Jong-un reportedly told the South Koreans in March, which mm. was that he wanted security guarantees. So if you could have some kind of non-aggression pact. Between the two Koreas. But the, the thing is, the document, yeah. uh, the, the joint statement specifically talks about a a peace regime that Uh the South Korean and the North Koreans agree to work towards with an aim of creating a peace treaty with either the United States, South Korea and North Korea or those parties plus China. Mm. So they there already seems to be an implicit acknowledgement of the difference between a peace regime which falls short of a treaty and a, a need to get to this within this short period of time. And uh, yeah, there just seems to be a lot of hurdles. Actually, this is quite old-fashioned concept. So I've researched it and I found that there are only two peace treaty cases since the Second World War. One is the like Treaty of Paris to end the Vietnam War in 1973. And the other one is the Egypt-Israel peace treaty in 1979, which mm. is quite like back in the like. So there are only two cases of peace treaty since the Second World War. So actually, we can't find any like suitable examples referring to the like peace treaty when the four or three parties signed the like possible peace treaty to end the war. So I think this is another hurdle. And I was talking to a a senior diplomat this morning who said that uh, before we even talk about a peace treaty, it it would be good to get uh, North Korea to recommit to the armistice, which they've repeatedly walked away from, right? I mean, what's their current status vis-a-vis the armistice now? Well, it's it's walked away from it six times, I believe, starting from decades ago. So... Fyodor's point we were analyzing this today was that how do you even make a peace treaty when South Korea is not part of the armistice right. and the North Koreans have worked walked away from the armistice six, yeah. six or seven times. So the working level meeting should be a lot of fun. Certainly a lot of hard work between the, uh, the mid-level bureaucrats and officials to try to work something out, right? Well, South Korean bureaucrats love all that stuff, though, so I'm sure they'll be happy. Now, what about the stated commitment to denuclearization of the peninsula that was in the uh, declaration? What do we make of that? Uh, Once again, it's been framed in quite lofty terms. There are no specifics, but interestingly, it's point three of the section that's focused on peace treaty and peace regime so that's again why it seems like it may be an effort to link those two things from the Korean side what's important for for me are two things firstly I think it's the first or second point in that section there is talk about a phased commitment to disarmament now it's not clear if they mean nuclear disarmament but presumably given that North Korea has claimed it has weaponized nuclear uh, devices that there would be a nuclear disarmament process and the two Koreas propose that that be a phased thing. The other thing is that while there are critics who I'm already seeing online are saying this is not good enough, it's vague enough, what did you expect? Mm. This is a effectively a pre-summit before the real action happens between Donald Trump. It would be impossible to believe that Kim Jong-un would uh, commit to a detailed timetable towards denuclearization without speaking to the country he has developed these weapons to defend against. So I feel that's a bit of an unfair criticism on the Koreans for being vague on that. It is, especially given Kim Jong-un has already given I mean, quite a fair deal of concessions at this point and not really received anything in return. If you're looking at it from a realist point of view, Mm. what has Kim Jong-un actually gained 
so far. But Seoul also also has low expectations on the issue in a way because Seoul had said that we want to reach a deal on the issue of denuclearizing the Korean Peninsula in a comprehensive manner. So that means they also acknowledge the limitation of Seoul and it's the like stepping stones for the upcoming summit between Donald Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong Un. It's it's not fair to criticize the joint declarations issued after yesterday's summit because Seoul has acknowledged the limitation itself. In terms of uh, sort of the broader picture of denuclearization and disarmament, did the presence of U.S. troops get mentioned anywhere in either the talks or the declaration yesterday? No, not in the declaration. All we've got to go on so far is media readouts of Kim Jong Un's alleged acceptance of mm-hmm. the fact that you know it's fine for North the U.S. troops to stay right. for the foreseeable future. And you mentioned early on in the interview, Chad, that uh, a lot of this statement or this declaration was similar to previous ones. And just for our listeners' benefit there, I've dug out the names of the previous ones. We had the 1972 Joint Communique, the December 1991 Agreement on Reconciliation, Non-Aggression and Exchanges and Cooperation between South and North Korea, the uh, 2000 June 15th North-South Joint Declaration and the 2007 Declaration on the Advancement of North-South Korean Relations. What about 1992, the denuclearization one? Yeah. That, that was one of the most interesting ones because that included, and it's apparently baked into this, an agreement to allow uh, inspections of nuclear facilities selected by either side with uh, teams of inspectors from some centrally controlled inter-Korean, I guess, system. If that was to be applied now, it would obviously have a a lot of work to do. Mm. And the other thing is that agreement in 1992 also said there should be no testing, no possession, no ownership, no transfer of nuclear devices. So as the new joint statement says that they should respect previous ones, that's pretty radical stuff. Yeah. Uh, on the surface. But as Fyodor pointed out today, every prior inter-Korean agreement has included that kind of textbook language that we will commit to implementing prior agreements and it's never really meant anything. Right. A lot of it seems to be just copy-pasted, isn't it? Sort of Control-C, Control-V. Well, in fairness, I mean, it's been, what, ten more than 10 years since they've had this kind of meeting. Ten and a half. Ten and a half. And it feels like, you know, they do need to actually just double check that they all agree on this stuff again, right? Mm-hmm. They, they kind of, Kim Jong-un kind of hinted at that as well. He said, well, we haven't seen each other for ages. Let's just make sure we're all still, you know, th- these agreements still stand, right? Because so many things happened under Lee Myung-bak and Park Geun-hye, Park sorry, that suggested that those agreements were... Um, Do you want to do that again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wrong, wrong Park. <laughs> wrong Park. Sorry, Aaron. Oh, Aaron, you'll have to come up in out there. Maybe you want to start from again, Hoffman. <laughs> <laughs> I should teach you how to speak like Park Geun-hee, not Park Chun-hee. Okay. Kim Jong-un kind of pointed to this. He said that, um, well, the two Koreas hadn't met in over 10 years, and so they just needed to double-check that they agreed on all of these things that were kind of done by liberal administrations that mm. all felt very far away after the two conservative administrations. So I think it was fair that they wanted to just kind of double-check that, oh, do we still actually agree on this stuff? Oh, we do. So I, I wonder to what extent they... The 1991 and 1992 agreements are, you know, part of that package of implementing past agreements. Because basically, that would be like saying, let's re-implement that agreement that says you'll never build that which you're now proud of having built. And which you are committing to denuclearization. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge contradiction in terms to have one that's talking about denuclearization and one saying that you'll never possess them, but you're respecting that one. I mean, on the surface, it doesn't make any sense, but... 
if they were respecting prior ones, there wouldn't actually be any need. You well, could probably cut about two thirds of that text out and just say we respect prior agreements and we add these four points that I described right. at the top of the podcast. Yeah, I think it's just a nod to the the past and uh, you know lofty goals. I keep saying lofty this week, lofty, uh, but it seems to apply to a lot of these things. Um, North Korea released the statement of Panmunjom Declaration through KCNA and Rodong Shimbun. And Full also- text. Yeah, full text. Yeah, including the full denuclearization stuff. And also, KCNA made a like, quite detailed report about Kim Jong-un's schedules in the southern part of Panmunjom. They basically mentioned like every schedule with yeah, Moon Jae-in yesterday, happened yesterday. So North Korea's television, KCTV, aired a video of the summit between North Korean leader Kim Jong-un and Moon Jae-in. And that's quite a big deal because yeah. up until today, really, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of skeptics would be saying, oh, you know, North Korea is just saying one thing to the outside world. They're right. not printing or telling their own people about this. And to do it within 24 hours does mm-hmm. suggest that whatever that conversation that Moon Jae-in and and Kim Jong-un had a way by themselves. Maybe uh, Moon told them that you've got to be serious about this and I need you to get this on TV. So it shows that you're not just telling the outside world this. Just wondering, has video of President Moon ever been shown before on uh, KCTV? There was footage of the South Korean delegation in March, yep. and then there was footage. No, there was footage of the concert, wasn't there? Mm. That was on South uh, North yeah. Korean TV, right? Yeah. So I guess then. So it has been shown before on North yeah. Korean TV. Okay. North Korean television has a, a way of uh, showing the relative rankings, the different rankings of President Moon versus Chairman Kim. When they talk about Chairman Kim, they yeah. say. Uh, the different honorific titles of uh, Gesar and Nim, etc. And they use the verb infix she to show he's done something like but yeah. they don't use that for Moon. In the past, before North Korean leader Kim Jong-un sent overture for Seoul, they never mentioned President Moon Jae-in in the past. But since they start to talk to each other since January, occasionally tend to call our president, South Korean president Moon Jae-in mm-hmm. or President Moon Jae-in's in a respective way. Mm-hmm. So that's the point we have to point out. Okay, but they still use different verb levels for Moon and Kim, don't they? For me, it's not that different. In Korean versions, they said Chairman Kim Jong-un and President Moon Jae-in. That's the yeah. Well, one interesting thing was that when Kim Jong-un came in and was saying hello to everyone, I read that he referred directly to Moon Jae-in as Nim and referred to himself as Cha, um, so lower. Um, yes. And another slightly interesting thing that probably everybody listening to the podcast saw was that when Moon Jae-in was shaking hands with all of the North Korean officials, the two military guys both saluted to Moon Jae-in, which was very interesting because he's theoretically the leader of an enemy state and they're showing respect to him. Well, hence in the video, they didn't show Kim Jong-un speaking. It was all the voiceover. Um, So maybe that was why. And they also, I noticed, they didn't include the um, famous running bodyguards. Mm. Everyone was enjoying, you know, when the limo pulled yes. up and then yeah. left, there were those bodyguards had to sprint alongside it. I didn't see that on North Korean TV. All right, so let's talk about the the summit of it, it itself. So, what happened? Who was there? What were some of the notable moments? Dagem and I were in the Inter-Korean Press Center, so there were thousands of reporters from South Korea, but also foreign reporters, and it was all broadcast on this big screen. The moment when Kim Jong-un first emerged mm. from the Tongyeok-gak, is it? The North Korean one? I believe yeah. that's their... Um, uh, 
the that was i mean it was like thousands especially all the south koreans went like oh and a th- like hundreds of reporters all going oh my and then the tension as as he walked along and then as he sort of Kim Jong-un kind of shed the people that were following him so he started off this huge group right all the those bodyguards that and they were Chad looking and left saw, and right as if they expected trouble all right? those bodyguards that Chad and I saw in Pyongyang with the long suits and the big guns in the in the jackets were right. there and then those guys kind of milled away and then the North Korean officials that were following him milled away except for Kim Jong-chol who kind of awkwardly followed Kim Jong-un yeah. almost up until he was supposed to meet Moon Jae-in and then someone had to come and drag Kim Jong-chol oh, no. out of the vision because they were like well it's Kim Jong-un's moment they oh, that's awkward thing. it was a little bit awkward and then when the two leaders shook hands, everyone was applauding. Some reporters were applauding as well, which I thought went a little bit beyond the lines of objectivity. Um, Some people got quite emotional in our office um, seeing it. And, you know, I, if you're Korean, I can imagine why. You know, this, these scenes are quite rare. I mean, you can be objective, but if you're if it's your country, like, I think it's hard to, to remove yourself from the gravity of what you're seeing even you know it's easy to say oh this has been done before mm. as some people on twitter did uh oh we've seen kim jong-il hugging mm-hmm. president Moro in the past kim dae-jung but it is different it's you know 10 plus years have passed kim jong-il died we've got a much younger leader and so it's a very uh, different south korean president right as well. and so there is some legitimacy in saying that there is you know there is a difference here we don't know how that's going to, uh, you know, articulate in, in big picture foreign policy. But one thing is I, I had to go to the bank yesterday morning and uh, my bank manager is a mid-40s, late-40s Korean Ajushi and he speaks some basic English. And mm. I asked him what he thought and he just said, oh, Kim Jong-un just wants money. <laughs> he just wants money and he he wants to meet Trump so he can get the money. And uh, that, was his, that was his analysis of the situation. How Overall, how was the body language? Was there good chemistry between the two men? I thought it was a bit, it was quite strange because um, especially when they were sitting in the little garden thing, it really, I really became aware that Kim Jong-un was, is a man in his 30s and is quite unsure of his place. And Moon Jae-in is this, elderly not elderly but 60 year old man with lots of experience of life and um if you watch the video you could see kim moon jae-in was completely solid as a rock he'd occasionally lean in to take a sip of tea always looking kim jong-un in the eye directly whereas kim jong-un i mean he might have been craving a cigarette as well because he was (laughs) twitching around he was um he kept sort of leaning backwards and leaning forwards and um, his hands were everywhere and he didn't touch the, the tea or anything like that. He didn't seem comf- like at ease at all. I assume he was coached on that stuff as well. But. And I, I noticed when he was in the writing the guest book yeah. um, he was breathing very heavily and it, it was just moments after he'd walked across and it's only, I don't know, maybe two, three hundred meter walk. I can't imagine that's so taxing that it would make him pant. I did wonder if that was nerves, actually. Like, mm. it's just, you know, having millions of people watching you. Mm. Obviously, he's done that in North Korea, but in the back of your mind, if you were him, you're in a completely different environment. You don't know if everything is going to go quite to plan as you as it would in the north yeah. um, and I noticed one of it the KCNA the North Korean journalist who was in that room his head was sweating so much and that made me think that guy must have been right. nervous as well because you know he's stepping into the enemy territory yeah. and it's just so 
different to any other summit scenario that we've seen. Kim Jong-un, during the first meeting they had, when it was Kim Jong-un, Kim Yong-chol and um, Kim Yo-jong. It was a 100-minute long pre-lunch meeting. Yeah, when they had first sat down, Kim Jong-un made these opening remarks. They sounded very coached, right? There were all these kind of unnatural expressions for him to make. I think he said like tip of the iceberg. And then during his first speech, which was on TV, he he was stuttering quite a lot. He was like repeating himself a little bit. I know it's probably not important not to read too much into the body language and these types of things, but it is really tempting because we never see Kim Jong-un so uncensored, right? Mm. He's always, North Korean TV is always showing him in these very small snippets, these little bits of behavior, but we never see him just as a person, you know, for extended periods of time. So I guess it's quite interesting. I'm sure the NIS is already scrutinizing every little tick. Well, talking about the NIS though, one thing that uh, Dagum noticed today was NIS chief crying at the at the scene and I just at Kintex or actually in Panmunjom in Panmunjom yeah I mean I I, I thought that was um, a little so you know the head I, of the I, I, I'm contradicting myself having just said that you know if you're Korean maybe this this feels like something important and it may be hard to be objective but you're the director of the NIS right the spy service you got lots of very conservative mid-ranking officers who probably despise everything they're seeing and you're there crying as the right. the representative leader of it I mean it's very Moon Jae-in to choose a big softie to be head of the NIS isn't it <laughs> I, mean, but like, I mean I I, I can't that was Sa- yeah. Sahun Yes, yeah. I can't. I can understand in a way as a South Korean because I also have mixed feeling, and I try not to be emotional while covering news because I used to cover missile news like almost every week, and I have to wake up at six, and I couldn't even take a shower properly. I I have to ask my mom to like keep an eye on my mobile phone if you love send alert, please jump into the like toilet and let me know. <laughs> and after like one year of like. Tons of missile tests, and now I'm covering like use of inter-Korean talks, and and that's quite severe for me. Mm. So I think Seoul also feels the same in a way. So so we we are really worried about the future of the Korean Peninsula and maybe the possibility of a wall on the Korean Peninsula, and the relations between Washington and Seoul after the missile test. So. As a NIS director who is a high-ranking officer of the South Korea, he must have, like, the same feelings. And actually, okay. speaking of the thing about you were saying having to get yeah. up early in the morning, Kim Jong-un said that again yeah. to Moon Jae-in. He said, um, oh, I heard that you last year you were always having these sleepless nights because ah. you'd have to jump out of bed at 5 a.m. for the National Security Council. And he said, now, you know, you won't have to do that anymore. There you go. Uh, speaking of the NIS, they probably would have pulled out a... Uh, uh, a lip reader to try to decipher some of the the private chat between Kim and Moon that they had on the very 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 bright blue pedestrian footbridge. You know, are there any open source lip readers who've come out and told well, we, anyone? We we kind of joked about that. We noticed that Moon Jae In had his back to the cameras oh. nearly the whole way through that. Maybe he that was intentional so that the rest of the world would get a clean shot of Kim talking. It was quite. A, it was forty minutes or so. They sat there and chatted. It was quite long, wasn't it? Yeah, it was long. I think. 30 minutes. I guess it's quite long for an unscripted and unmicrophoned chat. You know, maybe it is the age difference, but there was something kind of like father and son about it, Mm. looking at it from the sort of visual perspective because, I don't know, maybe it was because Moon's back was to the camera and you couldn't see his face, but you just saw this one-way discussion and it it looked pretty serious at times. And I imagine it was. I mean, you know, there's a lot at stake here. Uh, Moon is taking a gamble with doing this summit. 
he knows that North Korea has a bad track record for this and mm. he's putting his neck out. And so this was, I think, a great way to frame him putting Kim Jong-un on the spot in front of millions of people while he has that pep talk. And at some points, Kim Jong-un really looked like he was talking quite frankly as well. Like he looked quite emotional and he was sort of, I, I mean, yeah, I would love to see the lip reading because there were moments where he was really, you know, as I said, he was fidgeting. He was, you know, stressing things with his hands and stuff. And he was kind of like, um, his eyes were all over the place and Moon's just kind of sitting there quietly sipping his tea. Yeah. And the optics for Moon were actually great. One, one thing that someone mentioned, maybe it was on Twitter, was this was very carefully choreographed and everything was planned out very very well and it was said that the US is going to fall far short of this kind of visual impact and aesthetic and judging by the state of the highways and LaGuardia airport I can imagine that will be the case it will be a bit rough around the edges on the US side and Trump's approach which is quite blunt I I wonder how that will play out basically Now what was for dinner after all the talks and the declarations and the uh, statements to the media they they brought in the wives and and, uh, larger groups of uh, uh, advisors and hangers on they had dinner and uh, they had some uh, Famous Swiss, di- Swiss dish. Uh, my memory's a bit rusty on that point. So yeah, they had. Um, You're so from Switzerland. I grew up in Switzerland. Did partially. you really? Yeah. Um, not like Kim Jong Un. One of the many things yeah. him and I have in common. You have a Swiss um, education. Uh, just we both like have Kim Swiss education. South Koreans for the menu said that they were going to have meals from all of the hometowns of all of the um, South Korean leaders that have participated in the summit. Sea cucumbers from Kim Dae Jong's hometown. Mm. What was the what was the other one? And then there was fish from Busan, which is where Moon is from. And then what was the pre- what was the no one? Of something else? Rice. I don't. I can't remember what the thing was. For it's no all was. from like hometowns. Yeah, it was all from the hometowns. Home. And then Kim Jong Un rusty, um, which I thought was weird because did North- he choose that? The South Koreans said, you know, this is for everyone's hometown, right? First of all, rusty is quite unremarkable. If you're gonna, there are gourmet Swiss. I mean, Swiss food isn't fantastic, but there are Swiss, you know, gourmet options. There's yeah. great meat and things and rusty is just kind of like a hash brown that you have with cheese you know when you're hung over but so there's that but there's also the fact that the north koreans have never officially said that kim jong-un actually went to school in switzerland as right far so as for I know. them, for them no, to, to, to agree i suppose that's maybe that stuff won't get coverage in north korea but it's unofficially confirming that kim jong-un did actually go to school in Bern, mm. which is quite interesting and then they also had the infamous doctor cake Right. <laughs> Which uh, the Japanese were quite annoyed about. The, they broke this chocolate ball and then inside there was a cake with a picture of the Korean Peninsula. Um, and then there was Jeju Island and then portrayed actually almost as large as Jeju Island was Dokdo. Yongpyeongdo is missing. Yongpyeongdo is missing. Um, and obviously Dokdo isn't as large as Jeju, but um, they felt the need to put that on there, um, which is, as they're right, it is their territory. Um, and the Japanese lodged a complaint about that. I complained about support the cake. for a great diplomatic initiative. The Japanese complained about Dokdo. Which is Dr. a bit odd, considering the Japanese have been begging, not begging, but requesting the Moon administration bring up the abducted citizen right. stuff. And then a day, a day or two later you know really inopportune time to raise Dokdo but as I as far as I understand the ministry in Japan that did that is there's there's a government office in Japan that is exclusively their job is exclusively to complain about that type of thing about territorial issues the Bureau of Doctor Complaints the Bureau of Doctor Takashima Complaints Uh, Dagum can you tell us anything about the makeup of the North Korean dinner group among the nine nine delegations we went back to North Korea before the banquet, 
uh, it includes um, North Korean Foreign Minister Ri Yong-ho and Chief of KPA General Staff Ri Myung-su, and another is Minister of the People's Armed Forces of DPRK Park Yong-sik. Basically, two military officers and one foreign minister went back to North Korea before. Mm. Banking start. That's also interesting part. Mm. Yeah, but they didn't explain the like details and the reason why they returned to the north before the banking. Yeah. Do we know why when uh, they were planting the tree that Foreign Minister Kang disappeared with North Korean Foreign Minister uh, Ri? Because there were only male South Koreans at that point, and Kim Yo Jong was the only female in the whole picture. My understanding is that working level talks was being held. While the two leaders plant the trees, and mm. I think Kang Kyung-ha possibly was involved in the working level talks. Would that be part of scripting the statement or the declaration? Yeah. yeah. And notably, Ju Young-on, who is vice director of the organization and guidance department, later enjoyed the banquet with other delegations, and. Jo Young Won wasn't there in the morning, and Jo Young Won was Jo Young Won crossed the MDL with Kim Chang Son, who is the like director department of the State Affairs Commissions. And Ri Sol Ju, of course. Yeah, Ri Sol Ju, of course. Yeah. The uh, the wife of Kim Jong Un, yes. And on the South Korean side, uh, Professor Moon Jong In came up for the uh, banquet, didn't he? Yeah. Yes, he did. He's surprised. Uh, <laughs> Wouldn't miss it for the world. Well, that's right. He's, he's quite uh, quite quite likes toasting with North Korean leaders. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, Moon Jong-in, Moon Jong-in is special envoy to South Korean President Moon Jae-in on the issue of unification and foreign policy, yeah. so he should be there in a way. Was it interesting that there was nobody, as far as I know, there was nobody from the economic side, uh, economics ministries of both sides? Um, I think that's quite intentional, like strategic options, because in the decla- joint declarations, I noticed that they didn't mention anything about economic cooperations, unlike the one in 2007. But they said yeah. that both agreed to actively implement the project previously agreed agreed in the like 2007 October 1st declarations. This means this for the promote to promote balanced economic growth and co-prosperity of the nations. This strongly suggests that the project referred to economic cooperation, right? But they didn't like stipulate. And also South Korea excludes all the economic um, officials when they composing the preparatory committee for the upcoming summit. Mm-hmm. So I think due to the like sanctions and all those situations with the US, they intentionally and strategically exclude all the economic like staff and issues while preparing for the summit. Uh, the fact that they picked Kaesong as the location for yeah. the joint liaison yeah. office, and as I said, instead of Pyongyang and Seoul, yeah. which would have seems to me a much smarter option or even Panmunjom yeah. as we saw it function so well yeah. for this the fact is Kaesong suggests that there maybe there is some interest in rehabilitating rejuvenating that joint inter- inter-Korean industrial zone it just seems too coincidental to pick that Did the Kaesong Industrial Park actually get a specific mention in the uh, the talks yesterday? No No The reason why from my understanding the reason why the, the Korea agreed to set up the joint office in Gaesong is partially because of the facilitations because we restored the military hotline on the western coast in January and that was used to used by the military as a means of like dealing with the entry of North and South Koreans on the border area. So 
if we establish the like office in Kazan, we don't have to build more hotline or communication channels. So it's easy for, for Pyongyang and Seoul to like facilitate the office if we if it is established in the Kazan area. But if they went to Pyongyang and Seoul, like you just use a cell phone. That was Seoul's original plan, I think, but the like Kim Jong thing is yeah, too that's much. That's what I had heard before. Yeah. On um, the day that, before that the summit, everyone was deal. saying there was going to be an office and yeah, yeah, yeah. there was going to be like MOU yeah. would be in Pyongyang and Ministry for Reunification of the Fatherland. Yeah. Be great for intelligence on both sides. They could sample yeah. one's and others' beers. Uh, it's just the tip of the iceberg, as Kim Jong Un would say. Tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Now, Moon Jae-in is scheduled to visit Pyongyang in October. What might we expect from such a visit, and why hold a fourth inter-Korean summit so quickly? What's it going to be about? I mean, a lot of that's going to be coming from the success or non-success of this Trump meeting. Mm. But I think there may have been a degree of forecasting that things could maybe not go so well between Trump and Kim Jong-un. And if things don't go well and we run the risk of people like Bolton talking increasingly again about military options one great dampener for that is having another inter-korean summit uh, and if the chinese are on the same page there's mm. been rumors of a potential xi jinping visit to mm. pyongyang sometime in uh, june or july then you're going to see a series of high level summit meetings which will really take the wind out of the sails of military planners one would imagine mm. um but all being well, uh, if we think about it optimistically, then I guess the other end of the spectrum is uh, he could be getting closer towards overseeing the dismantlement of ICBM warheads. It seems far-fetched right now. But I think the one thing we need to be prepared for is big surprises with this Trump summit. Just before we get on to the Trump summit fully, so Moon Jae-in said he wants to regularize and systematize meetings at all levels between North and South Korea. He didn't mention journalists, though. And there was no mention of information campaigns or joint broadcasting or anything like that, which was another potential area of missed opportunity. There was also, it must be noted, part of the stuff about uh, making DMZ a permanent peace zone said no more loudspeakers and no more leaflets, which will not be popular with civil groups. I'm not sure how the South can enforce that, really. I mean, you're going to have to have heavy policing of all parts of the DMZ, and yeah. you're going to be arresting people that are trying to send balloons. I mean, they've yeah, done yeah, that I, I, I didn't think about that, because I was only thinking of North Korean leaflets right. and yeah. South Korea, but... I mean, the North South Korean of... groups send all sorts of things up North, you know. Dollar bills. Dollar bills. Those, yeah. those people that send the um, bottles full of rice and US be sticks i mean is the soul gonna have to police every part of that every river every and just you know, and what does it do track? about radio well yeah radio free asia and also the uh, uh unification media group here in seoul umg does that get that would be pretty crazy i'm assuming well it talks about all this stuff happening within the dmz right i think broadcasts that are coming from seoul into the north probably exempt probably yeah. exempt and i think um we'll still be able to get shortwave pyongyang radio we'll here still be able seoul. to get shortwave radio but um, the numbers so quickly to all three of you, give a, a rating, a grade out of 10 for the performance of President Moon yesterday in yesterday's uh, piece of political theatre. Pagyam? I give him 8.5. I suppose it depends. I mean, what's... Yeah, well, in what sense, yeah. yeah. In what sense. completely subjective. Yeah. Um, it's a podcast, not a stat statistical <laughs> survey here. 
I say I think he did as well as we all expect him to. Oh, you're not a politician, Oliver. Uh, <laughs> you know. I'll, I'll put my neck out. I'd say 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10, okay. Okay, I would say be more sceptical. I'm saying 6.5. Why? And Yeah, we're, okay, all right, why? Why so low? Um, what could he have done better or differently? Tree planting thing was a bit stupid. And, I mean, uh, you know, and um, I think he could have been a bit less, you know, he said he was praising Kim Jong-un a lot, which I thought was a bit unnecessary, given that, you know, you've got Kim Jong-un here. You don't need to say how brave he is and how, you know, noble his decision is. And um, Maybe yeah. he was just trying to put it, put him at ease. I mean, you noticed yourself that Kim Jong-un appeared... Uh, Nervous and uh, ill at ease, and maybe by praising him, we should have just just let him smoke. (laughs) Very good. Um, Same thing now for Kim Jong Un. A a rating. Let's do it backwards, Chad. Uh, I would say seven. Seven out of ten. I'd say six. He didn't seem very comfortable, but I mean, he's a young guy. He's the same age as Chad. And, um. Well, actually, we don't officially know. We don't officially know how old Chad is. (laughs) (laughs) North North Korea hasn't officially released an age or date of birth of Kim Jong un, has it? Um, but, you know, he's early 30s. Um, and I suppose for a man in his early 30s, he's never done this thing before, really. He did, he did all right. Tagyum? Kim Jong un, out of 10? Eight. Eight. Okay, quite good. Now, moving on to the Trump summit. This is the next big thing on the horizon, obviously. We still don't know where and we still don't know when. What are the locations that people are talking about now? It's been narrowed down somewhat. What's it down to? Well, it was narrowed down uh, to Singapore and Mongolia from some sources today. But then I just saw a Singaporean media report saying we've had no requests from the US to be part of this. Mm. Okay, my money's still in Ulaanbaatar. My money's still in Pyongyang. Yeah, mine too. Mm. I would have liked Singapore just for all the nice food um, that yeah. we could eat while the summit was going on. But as Jack and I discussed yesterday, yeah. um, Ulaanbaatar has got this fermented goat's milk that would uh, be just... No, milk. mare's milk. Mare's milk, sorry. Yeah, Adik. Um, I think we should do a live podcast from Ulaanbaatar if it works out, <laughs> Chad. What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, if, if we find out where it's going to be, maybe we can do on-the-road podcast. That's actually the big, the big leak that we're hoping for, isn't it? For someone to step out and say where and when it'll be, but we don't know. And who knows? I mean, is, there's a chance like Mike Pompeo that it just happens without any real forewarning and we just learn about it afterwards when there's a big success. And I don't know, it, it seems like maybe 30% chance in my mind that it could play out like that. That's probably where we're going to have to leave it for today. Before we do, any last words, any funny photos or headlines you want to bring to the attention of our listeners? I just want to say a uh, bit cheesy. Oliver and Dagum did a great job uh, covering yes. it from context. It was very hard work. And uh, so did Christina and uh, Fyodor doing our social media. Um, so big thank you to everybody. Yeah. Uh, what about the funny photo that you showed me, Chad, of the uh, moon apparently showing a hundred dollar US hundred dollar bill to to uh, Kim at the dinner? Yeah, that, uh, but one wonders what the US Department of Treasury will think about that because it is a <laughs> bank note that is affiliated to uh, potential fake super notes. On the one hand, on the on, on the second hand, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be anywhere near a North Korean leader. $100 bill. Right. Hopefully it was a specimen bill only. I hope so for yeah. South Korea's legal standing. <laughs> uh, Oliver, last words? There was a great picture of Kim Jong-un using chopsticks, which I'd never seen before. I mean, Moon was going full slurpy slurpy with the Nemyong. But Kim Jong-un, I'd never seen him using chopsticks before. So all these little strange details that come out of these things. Were there any photos or footage of Kim doing that awkward thing with his wrist where he kind of bends it almost completely backwards? He did do that. He, yeah. did, he did that when he, he first sat down when Moon was showing him that um, little mural um, with all the with the original 
Hangul alphabet. Oh, yeah. Um, Kim Jong-un did the little wrist thing. He did the wrist thing. Dago, any last words? Anything that, that uh, any images that stick in your mind? I mean, I will not forget about, like, yesterday's coverage. Yesterday's coverage, and, like, it was really great for us to stay at the main press centers and cover the first inter-Korean summit between South Korean President Moon Jae-in and North Korean leaders. And I think, I hope we can cover more news from Pyongyang and Seoul, especially um, if I can cover more news of like inter-Korean talks, and that will be really great. Yeah, I think we, we're all quite, um, regardless of what listeners think about all this, selfishly, um, this is hopefully a great opportunity to do a lot more reporting in North Korea and there's loads of other stuff that benefits from that like last time we were there we got loads of little side detail stories out that provide a lot of texture and detail that mainstream media are going to skip over so um, you'll all benefit from that well thank you once again to Chad Kamsamida. Oliver. Thank you. Dagyom. Thank you, For coming on the NK News podcast and reviewing the latest about yesterday's summer. Don't forget that you can listen to all of our shows as well as read full bios and show notes on our website, nknews.org. NK News is the leading repository of North Korean research, news, and analysis, and we hope to see you there. And you can send feedback, comments, questions, or guest suggestions to podcast at nknews.org. Our podcast was produced by Arias Dare and facilitated by Chatter Carroll and Christina Lee. Lastly, a reminder that you can save $50 off your NK News subscription by using the code PODCAST at the checkout. Until next time. <laughs>